The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. You're listening to the Insurance Podcast with Pete Tessier, the podcast where no claim is unfounded. This episode's guest is Graham Haig from Walwanisa Insurance. Graham and I had been trying to connect for some time, and as we learned this past summer, there was a reason why he and Walwanisa were so busy. They were dismantling their direct distribution system in Quebec. Not only that, they were presenting the business to insurance brokers, which has to be seen as favorable. Graham and I touch on that move, but we dive deeper into the challenges facing the broker community and how Walwanisa is positioning themselves to go all in on the broker channel. Graham points out that consumers don't differentiate between direct and broker channels. They look for value. He's also direct in his statement that as a company that has gone all in on the broker channel, there's expectations to see that love come back to Walwanisa. This is a fun recording because Graham is an engaging guy. He has a great sense of humor and most importantly, a very intriguing perspective on the insurance marketplace. All right. Um, guess what? I think this is my first local guest here on the insurance podcast, and that's with Graham Haig from uh, Wawanisa. And welcome to the show, Graham. Pleasure to have you here. And let's start talking about some insurance stuff. Excellent. Hey, well, a couple of things, uh, Pete. Happy to be your uh uh, you're first in uh, in the local market. I a little bit surprised. We got some great people here as well too. The other part I'm really happy is uh, that you got our uh, name fully correct. I still get people in the industry referring to us as Wawanessa. So thank you for uh, nailing our name. Yeah, you know that's important, right? Everyone's name is important. You were given a name. It's, it needs to be said properly. So. Let's get right to the heart of the matter. Maybe the biggest news this summer in the insurance industry, other than catastrophic losses, has been Wawanese's move to sort of decouple itself from the direct channel in Quebec. Um, you're now sort of giving that market to the insurance brokers in Quebec. Let's go back to stage one. When did this happen? How did you arrive at the decision? And what's the plan to execute this strategy? Because it's a monumental shift. Yeah. Well, you know what? The exciting part is that we see this as per perhaps the biggest news in the broker community uh, over the last several years. And uh, that's saying a lot, but I'll explain kind of why I see it in, in, in that space. Uh, the reason that we see this as being such big news for the brokering community is that while others are moving more into a direct market, we're strengthening our commitment to the broker channel. We strongly believe in the future of the broker channel. Even with all the disruption that's going on, we think brokers are the place that you can get the best advice, advocacy, and service uh, uh, model out there. The other part that we look at with that is that if you compare uh, a, a consumer's perception of where they're placing their business, they don't look at it as a distinction between I'm going to a direct market versus a broker market. The way that they've looked at it in the past is the service model that a direct market can uh, uh, can provide at times is a little bit different than what a broker can. Certainly historically, and that's been a lot of uh, technology-driven uh, work in that space, we strongly support the fact that brokers can deliver 
as good uh, a service model in the digital space or uh, they can leverage technology to provide that type of service to a consumer so that the consumer no longer has to go into a different channel uh, in order to get uh, the advice and advocacy and service that they deserve. So we are a big fan of of the broker model and, and proud to be able to say that we're now the largest uh, Canadian PNC insurer solely dedicated to uh, a broker distribution in Canada. So it's exciting for us. The effective date, you asked a little bit about the effective date. We announced it at the beginning of August. Uh, the effective date of the transition starts on October 1st as we move business to our uh, our partner brokers in, uh, in Quebec. So you covered a whole bunch of things there that I, I'm going to ask questions about later and everything because it is there's a lot to unpack here. I use that term unpack a lot audience knows that but you're getting more of it um with with that okay let's talk about one thing given this action from moving away from the direct distribution model let me say it again direct distribution model how has regulation played a role in this move is it a difficult thing to do or has it been a relatively seamless thing when you think about regulation Certainly, I, I, my answer to that would be it's been a relatively uh, a seamless move. Uh, I think even our legal team here would acknowledge the same thing. So we haven't, uh, I, I, and in fact, I would actually suggest as we approach some of the regulatory bodies uh, in the uh, Quebec market, uh, uh, they in fact were pretty uh, positively surprised at our decision uh, to move from uh, a direct distribution model in Quebec to uh, uh, to a broker distribution model and large part of that would be because such a big portion of uh, the Quebec market is in the hands of uh, direct writers yeah no there certainly was applause from across Quebec from the brokers I know out there and I think it's a great move for Wawanisa because what it really does is it kind of doubles down on your bet within the broker channel that you've already made and I mean if anyone listening to this has been asleep at the wheel you you, you would have missed that Wawanisa's purchase Western Financial Group and some other smaller in comparison to Western Financial Group but brokers like Wyatt Dowling in Manitoba and a few others across Canada you you're doubling down on the broker channel you've already sort of explained why but when you look at brokerages and not just advice what do you see in the value of them giving the immense change happening in this industry with things like technology and insure tech startups and new people entering the space? Okay. So great question, Pete. I'm actually going to hijack the, uh, uh, the interview for a second. And then uh, I want to get a couple of speaking points out and then hit that they're related though, of course. So, the part of that you're going to hear from us on a regular basis going forward is uh, kind of the catchphrase, 100% broker distributed, 100% committed. So we have now committed ourselves to the broker distribution channel in Canada. And what we need to see uh, uh, back, we need to earn it, but we also need to see it, is that commitment from the broker community to a company that has decided uh, intentionally and strategically to go down the path of, uh, of um, uh, broker-focused distribution in Canada. So uh, sorry to hijack it uh, there just for a second, and I promise I'll get back to the rest of your question. No, that's all good. That's all good. That, Pete, just to be clear, and it's a little bit of a prod to say, hey, look, you know, uh, we've committed, brokers have been asking for it, and uh, we need to see that uh, see that love back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of funny because considering who you bought Western Financial Group, you, you've taken it from a, a Quebec credit union 
and now you've opened up your direct market in Quebec. It, it's kind of a neat sort of comparison to the two and how it's both worked. Now, we talked a little bit about regulation and everything, and, and this is something that you know because Wawanisa operates in two countries, and you also operate a life side division as well. Now, we won't go into life because that's really not my area of expertise, nor do I want to pretend it is. But operating in the United States and operating in Canada, you have federal regulations and provincial regulations. Then you also obviously have state regulations in, in the U.S. and federal. How do you How does this affect what you do in terms of competition and innovation between and what do you see where do you see differences between the two countries you know what that's a it's a great question uh, uh, Pete. I, uh part of the challenge for us and and you're going to get a chuckle out of this is that uh one of our most difficult uh jurisdictions for regulation you typically wouldn't think of it as being in the u.s uh, uh, uh space is california uh, California uh, auto regulation in particular is a very complicated field to navigate. Our current uh, uh, president of US PNC operations would probably be the first one to put his hand up and say, uh, you know, it's a challenging jurisdiction uh, to write in. Uh, so where I'm going with this, uh, Pete, is that my answer on regulation is you can't tell from day to day where your regulatory challenges are going to be. Government changes on a pretty frequent basis in both the Canadian and the U.S. marketplace. And when the new government comes in, quite often, auto insurance in particular is one of the uh, topics that they want to uh, uh, they want to address. So let's go to Alberta. If you were to ask any insurance company five years ago, would your most challenging regulatory environment in all likeliness be uh, the Wild West of Alberta that they were historically uh, thought of as, um, would you pick that province to be the most uh, challenging today? And I think most companies would, that are writing uh, across all jurisdictions in Canada would probably suggest that the regulatory environment in, the, uh, in Alberta today is uh, uh, is a very challenging uh, uh, market, and we wouldn't have said that five years ago. Uh, other jurisdictions are 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 clearly uh, as concerned about. Uh, financial stability of insurance companies uh, so that they can provide product into their marketplace. And so the Maritimes are, are being a little bit more encouraging to in insurance companies to be able to address some of the issues that are evolving. Uh, I know we always focus about auto, but you have two, two areas. You have auto, you have distracted driving, you have increased uh, 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 collision crash costs, uh, so repair costs are going up because of all the technology built into vehicles, and then you have weather-related losses. So the uh, the Maritimes have kind of everything coming at them, uh, uh, and the, the government there recognizes it, and so do the regulatory bodies, and if anything, they, they would be encouraging uh, insurance companies to make sure they're appropriately uh, setting aside uh, premium to pay for the losses that are coming at them uh, uh, pretty hard and fast. And and then we run into other jurisdictions that it's a more challenging environment, which never bodes well. Everybody's been through these. never bodes well long term when you have those types of restrictions, because at some point you either have to catch up in terms of premium coming into the marketplace, or you have to look at product reform to drive down loss costs. So you mentioned Alberta in the start of that, and then you, you take a look at where Alberta is and you, you know, we think deregulation, the open market, that's the Alberta way, the Wild West. But they have a, a left-leaning government in relation to what they've traditionally been now. And it's been that way for a few years. Now we go over to Ontario, 
the largest auto market, and we have a very right-leaning government. Do you expect changes happening in Ontario based on the um, on um, Premier Ford and what his mandate is for as as a new premier? That's a loaded question because I think we well, know changes are coming. Really but but is is there something on the horizon that you guys are thinking about? Well, I think the Marshall Report in Ontario outlined uh, uh, quite well what the challenges are in that marketplace. And I don't think I my answer to that would be I don't believe it would be government specific. It uh, it would be let's take that Marshall Report, implement what is appropriate out of it uh, into that marketplace and and uh, move things along. So my you know, governments, again, they'll change on a uh, on a regular basis as as uh, uh, as we vote new and uh, new governments in. So my answer to that would be it's really agnostic from uh, a who's in power perspective. It is more what is the right thing to do in the jurisdictions? Uh, have we got some information such as a report like the Marshall Report uh, to support either product change or pricing regulation? And and then it's about actually having the courage both as an industry and as a, uh, a province and, and regulatory body uh, to implement what everybody understands uh, as the appropriate uh, forward move on on some of the uh, product and pricing reform let's let's move a little differently here um, because there's a lot of ground we want to cover in past conversations that you and I have had you've talked about this idea of top to bottom competition within the insurance industry and I think it's kind of a cool concept in how you look at things now can you describe that and what it means within this industry so others sort of get an idea of how you're thinking along those lines Sure. You know, if you look at a, and I think uh, the, uh, the example I gave to you before, uh, Pete, uh, and I don't mean to pick on the oil industry because it's so important for uh, the Canadian marketplace. If you drive through any city in Canada right now and you were to compare high to low prices on something like a commodity like gasoline, uh, really, it has a very limited uh, uh, differentiation between uh, a different retail uh, environment. So if you're going to Costco or if you're going to uh, Petro-Canada or another, you usually have a couple of cents difference uh, on any given day. In our industry, and the part that we all love about it is we're all very competitive individuals, both at the broker and at the company uh, side of things. If you were to take the uh, uh, the mean rate and look at it plus or minus 25%, uh, so a 50-point gap between the lowest premium and the highest premium in the market compared to the average premium is typically what you see in most marketplaces, and it's actually not even product-specific. That will typically be the case for property versus auto versus commercial versus personal. Generally speaking, you have a very wide variety on, on pricing opportunities. Some of those come with product differentiation as well, too. But we are a highly competitive, uh, uh, I would almost say you could argue stupidly competitive at times, uh, industry. And, and so consumers generally are, are very well served in markets that have a lot of competition. Uh, so, you know, I, I, from our perspective, and, and uh, I think, you know, the more competition there is, the better it ends up being for consumers. Once you start uh, firing in uh, regulation and, and, uh, and restrict insurance companies from moving uh, at a fairly rapid pace as today's environment generally requires, 
uh, it actually uh, will cause long-term uh, challenges for consumers, not, not the benefits that, uh, that uh, could be assumed from a more restricted environment on the pricing side. Wow. Okay, I'm going to digest that for a second. There's a lot there. Now, you, you talked a little bit about the idea that you know, it's a highly competitive, you talked a lot about the idea, it's a highly competitive industry. And it is. A past guest who you obviously know, Alistair Campbell, he said something really interesting. He said, insurance isn't just copyable, it's photocopyable. And what he was getting at was how fast another, a competitor of, say, a Wawanisa can go and match your product. And I think I remember on a local sense, when Wawanisa came out with service line protection, Next thing you know, within months, we had three other companies who were throwing in service line protection because they're like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's copy it. Do you think that aspect of insurance in this industry is a good thing or a hindrance to companies getting a lead or innovation? Do you think it drives innovation or does it does it sort of hold it back because we can just copy each other? <laughs> that's a great question, Pete. You know what? I actually... Uh I think the cream rises to the top uh, on that. Uh, so if, uh, you know, the way that I look at it is that in the past, and, and if you talk about, I'm going to use a Wallonisa specific example on this. Historically, Wallonisa was known as the steady, stable, uh, one of my key brokers out in British Columbia, who may or may not listen to this uh, recording, referred to us with a yawn as the boring company in Canada. So, you know, we used to be able to be a following company. So we'd wait until others uh, uh, figured things out and then we'd follow. Or if they fell down as they were uh, at the bleeding or leading edge of, uh, of either technology or rating or product change or what have you, then we'd clean up the mess afterwards and, and come out looking great. You can't do that anymore. You now have to be, if you want to be a leading company in, uh, in the country and helping brokers uh, uh, meet client expectations today, you have to be prepared uh, to take risk and be at the front edge and driving uh, uh, change. And if you're that company that's always following today, uh, you're just not going to have a successful mix. The way that I look at it is my job and, and the job of many of our uh, executive within this organization and all of our frontline staff is to become the indispensable choice to brokers in Canada when placing business. The only way that we can do that is by entering into innovation uh, efforts to come out with digital uh, offerings that uh, uh, brokers uh, uh, can use uh, to serve their clients. So it is important for us to be a more forward thinking, more confident, uh, as well as more leading edge than uh, than what Wonisa would have been comfortable with even five years ago. Okay, so I, I totally agree with that. And I know of some companies, some you work very closely with, not just in in terms of being an insurance broker, broker, but in other aspects too, that literally look at insurance companies and say, who's our tier one, tier two, tier three companies, and how are we going to manage our business? That's all I'm going to say about that, because if you want to know more, look me up on the, my website. And, and that's what my consulting stuff does, is I'll talk to the talk to audience about that and how you want to use that aspect of, of how you place business. But one thing I know about that is more often than not, Wawanisa is tier one with many brokers simply because of the innovation you're putting into, into your distribution channel and products. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And full disclosure, when I was a broker, I didn't even have a Wawanisa contract. So I'm not pumping your tires. 
<laughs> for no reason. But I, I'm, I'm sorry about that, Pete. Didn't doesn't mean I don't like you. I know. And, 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 you know, I looked longingly at other brokers going, man, I, I got to get over there. So let's shift gears for a little bit. One thing you and I are both from, uh, from Vancouver or the greater Vancouver area. And we grew up there and we know a lot about that, the goofiness of what's gone on in BC. So I want to talk a little bit about catastrophic loss. And in BC, we've had the worst fire season ever. And preceding that was floods and it's we know how bad it gets out there because we both lived there and grew up there so when you look at cat losses what is walwanisa doing to to manage risk and products and working with brokers and and dealing with the prevention and eventual arrival of more catastrophic loss yeah you know, and and I like uh, I like how our industry has addressed some of the things like climate change. There there are areas that we can work on in a proactive fashion in in the the climate change environment, and and some companies uh, are are doing that better than others. Uh, however, the reality of our business is to deal with losses as they occur and serve clients in, in their in, in, at their time of need. And so what, what we really look at is it's an increasingly severe weather event environment that we're in today. And we have to figure out how to deal with catastrophic claims on a more effective basis. We're investing a ton in things like cat loss adjusting teams. Uh, we're looking for ways to make them more uh, seamless in terms of getting payments to our uh, customers. We never really had to worry about in the past, how will a customer actually cash your check? Well, today you do, and in an, in an area that is catastrophically impacted, let's use Fort McMurray as an example, where banks are closed and everything else, how do you get financial resources into the hands of your customers in that type of an environment so that they can take care of themselves and, and be able to uh, uh, manage at a very, uh, a very uncertain time? So we're dealing with it in a variety of different ways. I think you have to look at the post-loss component. You have to plan for all of the, uh, uh, the impacts that, uh, that come from that. And I really do believe that the insurance industry has stepped up in a massive way. We will never get uh, a significant credit outside of our industry because it is expected that we make a payment after somebody has a loss. Uh, what it doesn't recognize is the complicated nature of that. And what I, uh, I want to actually spend a couple of seconds talking about is using the Fort McMurray uh, loss event as an example. What a lot of people across Canada won't recognize, even within our industry, is that uh, insurance companies got together as a group uh, uh, and set up a camp for adjusting uh, resources into that area. They were uh, located just outside of the city because part of the requirement was is that we couldn't take up resources within the city to house people and that type of thing. Because if we had adjusters taking a hotel room, that meant that one of those uh, residents of the Fort McMurray area could not uh, take that hotel room. So we built a camp outside of the area. We had staff from across our industry. All companies were, that were dealing with losses up there had staff that were residing just outside of Fort McMurray. And not a lot of us had resources in Fort McMurray that you were putting into that space. We were pulling them. We had people coming in from the Maritimes to help out with, a, uh, uh, with this cat loss claim. They'd come in, they'd move in for a two to three week period away from their friends, from their family, uh, from their 
comfortable uh, uh, nature, and they would be really focused on producing an exceptional customer experience uh, uh, to the best of their abilities in a very challenging time. So what I what I try and make sure that I'm doing is recognizing the efforts of our uh, of our industry, our claims resources, and we really need to be proud of the work that's going on uh, and the amount of effort and energy and planning and strategy that we're putting into place to dealing with uh, uh, cat loss events uh, as they occur because it's uh, uh, it's a, an important part of what we're doing today and will be a growing part of uh, of, of our business. So, uh, but it is how we deliver on the uh, the promise of insurance. Well, I had about three questions on that, and you answered them all in that in that segment. So I don't even need to continue on there. But it, it is interesting. But you know, on a little bit of a tangent here, there's an article in one of our in one of our recent insurance trade journals that talked about the challenges of our interprovincial regulation, and particularly when it comes to catastrophic losses and getting adjusters across provinces to come work. And due to due to licensing issues and certifications, and I believe they were saying it was easier for them to bring adjusters up from the U.S. And that now the current NAFTA strategies may or, or deal may affect that. I, I don't know if you know anything about that or if you notice it, but when it comes to claims and cat losses, as you just described, it's all hands on deck. There's there's no time for anything, and it comes back to my sort of the regulation issue is. Do you think we need to maybe perhaps find ways to deregulate some of this so we can get the right people at the at the time of need for for insured people in, in, during catastrophic loss or at, right after catastrophic losses? Is there a need to maybe be a little more forward thinking that way? Well, my my answer to that will be generic. Uh, generic, not specific. So the generic answer to that is, uh, the general answer to that is, yes, anything that we can do to uh, move resources quicker to respond to the needs of uh, of consumers is obviously a positive. Uh, I will have to defer, it was Patty Kernahan and some of the others, but Patty Kernahan of Kernahan Adjusters, uh, is, she's brilliant and knows this, that part of the business inside and out at a much better level than uh, uh, than I do. So if Patty sees that there's an issue in moving those resources around, uh, then there has to be an issue in in moving those resources around interprovincially versus uh, outside. I can tell you that we've used um, uh, we've transferred uh, employees both interprovincially and also obtained resources from uh, uh, from the U.S. in order to support catastrophic loss events. Uh, and sure, there's some challenges uh, there, uh, but I haven't uh, I haven't seen us really struggle with uh, gaining enough resources to apply to it. It is still just, it's getting used to the planning component of it. So when it happens, how do you make sure you get that sense of urgency within your organization in order to drive uh, uh, the response required? Uh, uh, so that would be the the bigger part for us, I would suggest, is uh, as a company, uh, it's getting that pace and urgency uh, after an event uh, uh, to come through and making sure that you're planning and your strategies in place beforehand. Uh, but Patty is, uh, uh, you know Patty, Patty is a brilliant individual in the claim side and uh, I would defer to her on conversation points about uh, what she sees in uh, in the regulatory side. 
It's funny you mentioned Patty because she is on my list of people to contact about this. And it's been that way for a little bit. I just haven't reached out to her yet. So Patty, if you do hear this, we need to talk. We need to get this going because Graham just, you got the Graham Hague endorsement. So now we're on. Um, we're going to totally switch gears here. We're going to away from claims. We're going to get back to talking a little bit about consolidation because I think there's some things we talk about broker consolidation and we know what's going on with that. How, how people are leaving the industry, how companies, new entrants such as Wawanisa and then other, other entities are trying to acquire brokerages and businesses in all facets. But why haven't we seen consolidation with our longstanding technology? particularly to make real-time transactions viable. Why has that stayed so fragmented? And I know this is kind of a, a, it's not a loaded question as much as it's a long answer to it. So I don't expect a long one from you, Graham, but isn't this an issue as an industry and with the amount of funds we're putting into innovation that needs to be addressed, that we're way too um, fragmented with our technology because we're all aiming Mm. to the same area? Okay, uh, let me. Uh, that's a big, long question, and let me uh, address it in a couple of different levels. But I, what I want to start with is, uh, and uh, I, I'm going to uh, start this by saying part of it is my personal opinion, and part of it is our company opinion. Uh, so, from a, a, a partly personal opinion uh, piece here, uh, I will tell you one of my frustrations uh, in the industry is that. Uh, and having been very broker focused for a number of, uh, uh, years now is that, uh, when companies start to deploy their new toys is that they can take it as a, uh, an opportunity to either jump in front of their brokers in the, in the customer experience side or to then suggest that, Hey, you guys aren't keeping up. And I think that that is a really, I think it's a very unfair way to, uh, to look at it. I would actually suggest that for the last 15 plus years, insurance companies have held back innovation in the marketplace by having very, uh, uh, very slow legacy systems in place. And now that we're all putting in the resources to uh, uh, to replace our legacy systems, we have these new toys, and now we're kind of pointing the fingers at brokers and saying, hey, you guys, uh, you know, wagging the finger and saying, you, you haven't kept up, and, uh, you know, you got to come on board, or or we're going to have to take on some of the role and responsibility, and I think that's, uh, I think that's an unfair way to look at it. I think uh, as a broker-focused uh, uh, company as we are, I think the way that we're uh, looking at it is that our, our, our perspective on that is broker first and then we look at what are the benefits to the customer uh, in that space and i would suggest uh, that the forward thinking brokers are aggressively investing in technology and in their digital footprint in order to appropriately serve the needs of the modern consumer uh, insurance consumer so i'm actually super excited about where we're all headed and the you know so putting my corporate hat on and talking about Wallonisa, uh our goal is to have our strategy our digital strategy is a broker first strategy so that we can support our our chosen distribution channel in their efforts to deliver an exceptional uh, customer experience uh, uh, to policyholders and we're seeing um, we're seeing brokers in every jurisdiction step up 
and and take that on uh, head first. And uh, uh, frankly, it's it's really exciting. We love our innovation uh, lab and outpost and the people that we have uh, uh, working. And brokers are lined up to come uh, talk to us about uh, about digital and innovation. And uh, I, you know, I think you'd mentioned uh, offline beforehand a conversation you might be having with Jeff Roy, who uh, is a, 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 a big friend of uh, the Wallonese Insurance Company. And uh, we're excited to be working with him on a variety of different fronts, too. So lot, I think it's a fun time. I think if, we, if there's ever an opportunity for us to go after young uh, uh, a talent uh, to bring into our industry, uh, today's that day. We have a great story to tell and some really fun tools that are going to come to the marketplace over the next little bit. And make sure your follow-up question asks me about BMS integration. Oh, yes. We're going there. <laughs> That's funny you made Jeff. I just we we were just chatting today, Jeff and I sort of via text on, on some things, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with him because I think he's a, a true sort of uh, digital thought leader in our industry, and I think he'll have a lot of great takes. So you're sort of you know you're hitting me with Patty Kernahan. Now you're getting Jeff Roy. It's like everyone's going to know who's coming up soon. There's no surprises, Graham. Um, so let's talk a little bit first before we get to BMS integration. Let's talk about um, the Wallenese Innovation Lab and what what are you guys learning there. What do you see with investment in tech and what's sort of been the the general feel, obviously the positive from the broker side, but as you develop that, how is it being integrated within Wawanisa as a company? Yeah, I, I, great question, uh, uh, Pete. I, I think um, when we first went down the path of having an innovation lab and an innovation out, outpost, uh, so our innovation lab is in Winnipeg, for those that don't know, and our innovation outpost is in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, and we've had these open now for uh, uh, our uh, our lab has been open for just over a year and our outpost uh, uh, for about six months now. And, and we're having a lot of fun trying new uh, uh, things. One of the items that uh, we're working with right now is a group called Pro Navigator, uh, who does some great work on uh, things like Alexa skill sets. And so we currently have in demo uh, mode within the lab uh, an Alexa uh, skill set that a broker can uh, sit in front of uh, 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 an Amazon Echo uh, and ask Alexa to send them their expiry lists, can even ask uh, Alexa to within that expiry list to ask for all those that, for instance, you mentioned service line coverage, you could ask Alexa to send all of the accounts that uh, the broker has that don't have service line coverage so that you can then follow up with those uh, uh, those clients to ask if they have uh, uh, an interest uh, in service line. And here's our recommendation. So there's some of this stuff that we're uh, coming up with and the part that I love about it is you actually get to see it now months if not perhaps even years in advance of it hitting the street and being actively uh, used by brokers because that type of a skill set for most brokers would still be a little advanced for where they are in their technology journey however they'd probably all look at it and go yeah but i could consume that in 18 months from now and that's what we need to make sure that we have. We are we have to be a progressive, forward-thinking organization that is able to deploy pretty quickly down the road when brokers are ready to consume these types of new uh, uh, technologies. So that's what we're using the labs for. We have a lot of brokers that come in and they'll, they'll play around with these types of things too, give us feedback on, on what we see. 
uh, on what they see in our in our labs and give us suggestions on uh, things to work with. And we're finding it pretty good as well uh, to pick a few partners that are playing around in particular areas like uh, uh, Jeff Roy and Alexa. He's got some YouTube videos out there that kind of show that in, uh, in place. And, and we're really, again, we're really excited. I think the part that I would be, uh, that I do need to uh, point out uh, uh, to the brokering community, I look at your your audience is principally being a brokering community, although to have everybody else involved there too, Pete, is uh, investing has got to be there. And I think if I were to put the one uh, part out there is that uh, this isn't an option anymore. And it, if, if there is that belief out there that you can let this technology push uh, a pass by without impacting your business, that's where we're going to see some uh, the potential for uh, uh, for parts of the brokering community to not be as successful. Uh, those that are putting the money into uh, into their technology and their digital uh, pathway, uh, they're the ones that clearly are going to be ahead of the game over the next uh, 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 several years. The way that I look at it is I've had this conversation with other brokers is, Investing in technology is almost the equivalent of investing in a broker acquisition for that broker. So instead of adding in another brokerage, you almost have that 10 plus year payback period on the amount of investment that's going into uh, technology for brokers. And it just has to be, it has to be looked at in that fashion to say, if I want to grow at the pace that I typically would by have made, in, uh, made an acquisition in the past of another brokerage, if I do that investment in technology and drive my business forward, both I'll get the new business coming in uh, uh, that I would have gotten from acquiring a broker and I'll be able to serve my clients better and be a more modern, uh, uh, progressive uh, uh, group. So it is kind of changing uh, uh, how we're looking at, uh, at broker uh, uh, partnerships. And no doubt with, with the brokerages that you own, you're learning something sort of internally before the trickle up from sort of you're just your broker partners is coming. I think one of the things that we should really note about your answer there, Graham, is you talked about when the broker is ready for technology. So you're making investments as a company and you're ready to let bring brokers into it. And you said when they're ready. And I think everyone should really take note of that because if you believe in the broker channel, you believe the broker then understands the customer better. And I think there's some of your competitors out there that are telling brokers, we know your customers better than you do, do this. And they're shoving it at the brokers. And I think there's a bit of friction being made with certain insurers because they're force, they're forcing it on their partners. And I don't think that's a great way to run a partnership. If you know your customer, which a broker does, you're going to know what your customer base is ready for if you're paying attention. And what you describe seems like probably one of the best ways to have a partnership because you've got something there for them when they're ready to make the investment and the key being ready. So that's that's a really refreshing thing to hear because it's not always that case. Well, uh, yeah, just before you go yeah, on go there, on. and I think the other part that you have to look at with that, uh, Pete, is that not not every uh, brokerage within a region is also the same as well, too. So we look at, uh, uh, in the end, there is a, a, a need for a more urban broker to approach digitally uh, servicing their clients on a faster basis than a rural Saskatchewan uh, uh, broker. You also will have see some differences between those that have public versus private auto uh, as part of what they're doing. And you'll also see differences between brokers that have a heavier commercial mix to a personal mix. So you have to, you, there isn't, 
a one solution fits all one time uh, it makes sense for everybody uh, it's about getting the tools out in the hands and then letting our brokers consume them as appropriate I you know the the one caveat I do have to that is that at some point down the road I think consumers have a right and expectation to be served in a modern fashion and I think uh, the broker associations have actually been exceptionally good about having those types of conversations with uh, their membership as well, too, to say, look, you know what, it, you need to be looking at this investment. What's your plan? How are you going to come together? That's how you're going to show value both to your consumers, but also to your business partners, such as insurance companies. So you're right. Our focus is on the outset, absolutely making these available to uh, uh, to brokers and through brokers at the pace that they're comfortable with. Uh, I do think consumers are going to drive uh, the bus at some point uh, uh, down the road and there'll be a minimum expectation about what they can do uh, uh, do with their uh, brokers online. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up and I'm glad you sort of circled around is broker associations. And you touched on this in sort of the first answer to the question, but I think we're at a point where as associations sort of move forward and they have to address what their broker membership is dealing with and with insurers like Walwanisa, but also where some are falling behind, they can only do so much to keep everyone afloat. There's a certain point where there could be brokers left behind because they're not in an area where they need to make an investment in technology, but everyone else around them could be. And they're going to have, it's going to be one of those cases where you might see consolidation because of it, because you just simply don't want to spend the money on it because there's no return for you based on maybe your geographic location, your book of business and other variables. And and I think we'll see another sort of changing of the guard in terms of ownership, consolidation and expansion, because there's some people who will be at that age where they're like, enough, I, I got I'm out. This is beyond what I want to do. And, <laughs> and 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 you know what? Let's be really honest. It's probably going to happen in places like Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Alberta, and maybe some of the smaller centers in Ontario. I, I, that's just sort of the reality of of geography and how things work. And I don't think we can ignore that. And I don't think broker associations can ignore it. A couple of points on that. I I, I agree. And I also have a bit of a counterpoint to that as well, too, because I do think uh, so. Uh, first off, uh, I, I, you know, you're right on a lot of fronts in, in what you're saying. What I do think insurance companies can provide to some of those brokers in areas that don't have it is the ability to skin applications or fake uh, access to systems so that it shows as the broker brand and through the broker uh, a website, but the back end can be the insurance company uh, uh, helping, but the brand to us, the brand has got to be the broker wherever possible. Uh, uh, so for us, I see some opportunities even in small town Canada uh, for brokers to be able to participate in the digital space, maybe not at the level of sophistication where you're dealing with application program in interfaces and those types of works, uh, but you can do it in a way that promotes the brand, promotes the broker as the lead point of contact, and then uses the back end. So I see some opportunities even in in, in those other areas. Uh, the other uh, point that I make is that you're you're mentioning brokers and consolidation and, and also brokers and uh, uh, their ability to, uh, 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 to be successful going forward without uh, or with uh, investing in technology. Uh, the counter to that, Pete, is the obvious uh, 
that insurance companies are exactly in the same position. Uh, it is not a easy playing field, and it is certainly not an inexpensive playing field to develop and deploy modern uh, leading technology. Uh, we are hundreds of millions of dollars in, and I feel for companies uh, that are going to struggle to make that investment to convince their boards that uh, they need to be doing uh, a, a higher than comfortable investment into technology. And I look at it very much like that small broker that has to look at, well, do I make another acquisition to grow my business or do I invest in technology? I think we all kind of take a look at it and say, well, probably better take a step back and do the investment in technology to make sure that you've got a footprint that goes uh, forward, a, a roadmap that goes forward further than a three to five year kind of max period before you're really going to have to have modern technology in place to compete in the marketplace. So it impacts every level of the business. This isn't just a, a hit on brokers, small brokers that may be struggling with investment. I'd suggest that uh, insurance companies are uh, potentially even a, in a more risky position if they do not invest in, in technology and innovation. Okay, that's fair. I, I will, let's not pick on the little broker. We'll pick on the little insurance company too. <laughs> um, no, it, it's a totally valid point. Uh, there is a, there is a finite point where you have to decide if you're in or out in whatever capacity because change is coming. So let's just talk about the future and change. You, you pull out your crystal ball. And you look into it and, you know, the, 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 the Harry Potter sort of scene erupts and you see the fog clears. What do you see for the industry, for insurance carriers and brokers in five or 10 years? And what do you see specifically for Wawanisa? That's an awesome question, Pete, that I'm not going to answer. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to mention it in a different way. So I, I, we, so I've got a, I, I, and it, cause I've been talking to other people in the industry about this. Our business moved at a snail's pace when I started in it 25 years ago. So 25 years ago, I came out of university and uh, and actually joined uh, unintentionally, as many uh, do the insurance uh, uh, business. But I'll actually say intentionally in the end, because as soon as I got into it, uh, I, I loved it. Uh, but if you were to ask me 25 years ago what the roadmap for the next five years in our industry looked like, I had a pretty good, maybe it wasn't 2020 uh, vision, uh, but it wasn't far off of it. And I think all of us could probably suggest where we thought the next five years was going to move. Uh, you go back 10 years from now, that window started to narrow. So I'd be going, ah, 10 years from, uh, 10 years ago, probably I could see out two to three years with a reasonable degree of comfort. Five years ago, I'd suggest that became 12 to 24 months. And today, I'm not surprised by any change within a six-month period. If you look at, at us, so what have we done over the last 24 months? Well, Pete, we've moved to broker distribution in Quebec. We've launched uh, uh, Guidewire. We've got an innovation lab, an outpost. Uh, we've got different executive and different uh, roles driving our business forward. Uh, I think, Pete, you'd be one of the first ones to say, Wawanisa looks a lot different today than we did 24 months ago. And I think our reputation is moving pretty quickly 
uh, uh, too. Uh, I, you know, the comment I made when I first joined the company uh, nine years ago was that we have to move from being uh, not only not just your father's insurance company, but your grandfather's insurance company uh, was kind of our reputation in the past. That slow, steady, boring uh, insurance company. I think we've moved that needle pretty significantly in a short period of time. And I would suggest that we are uh, looking at a pace of uh, change that's equally as significant uh, as what we've seen over the last 24 months and the next 24. And again, getting back to that uh, BMS integration uh, uh, piece, uh, there's a lot of exciting things coming together in the market. We've been talking about BMS integration for 30 years in our industry, and we'll be delivering it. Several of us, this isn't Wallonisa exclusive, of course, there'll be several insurance companies delivering BMS integration over the next 12 to 24 months. So we've been talking about it for 30. We're going to deliver on it in the next 12 to 24. Yeah, I, I do have some inside information on that too. And then perhaps we will get a mutual uh, acquaintance of ours on, on the show to talk about that. He who shall be named later. Not, he's not Voldemort, but, <laughs> but oh yeah, he's going to kill me if he hears this. Anyhow, but Graham, that's a great answer. And, and I think, I don't think I can, I don't think I can ask any more of you right now because if we did, if we, if I do, we're going to go for about three hours. And well, I don't think either of us have had lunch yet, too. So let's put a wrap on that. But I want to thank you for coming on. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And like I say to everyone else, we're going to catch up again and maybe we'll bring another guest and have sort of a, a more dynamic conversation and, and see what we can see what we can create in a few months. Perfect, Pete. Hey, and I, I just want to say from a personal perspective, uh, we didn't get to spend too much time uh, uh, together uh, before you made this career your uh, your full-time career. That's what That's it true. is, right? Yeah. Uh, but I've really been enjoying uh, getting to know you over the last uh, uh, six to 12 months. And uh, this type of stuff that you're doing is great for the industry. Uh, it's fun to play with the technology. It's good to get the thought leadership out there. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, buddy. Hey, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure, Graham. I really appreciate it. So take care and we'll talk soon. All right. Talk soon, Pete. Bye-bye. You don't always get a compliment like that from a guest. Perhaps you can tell we have a bit of a bromance going on. <laughs> well, not really, but we have developed a bit of a friendship. I do think Graham was being too kind with all the praise for the quality of my questions, though, but I knew he could handle them. It's refreshing to talk to a company executive who has such a connection to the realities of the broker distribution channel and is bound to help Wawanisa broker partners. Having a company that thinks about technology in the way that it benefits consumer first, yet believes no broker should be left behind is pretty cool. However, Graham was not afraid to talk about challenges in the relationship, but also what the two sides can do to be forward-thinking and find success. As you heard, there's no shortage of initiatives in action at Wawanisa, and that's bound to lead to exciting changes in the future. And as Graham said, the future is here right now. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Podcast, brought to you by Tessier Insurance Consulting. Keep up to date with the show by visiting theinsurancepodcast.com and find us on social media via Twitter and Instagram. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. 
If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.